Well, if you have been with us, um, we have been walking through some of the marks or the characteristics of a biblically healthy church, and this will be the fourth message in that series. And so you've heard the importance of the preaching of God's Word, the importance of sound doctrine and how we understand from Genesis to Revelation and the fact that we hold to certain biblical truths and convictions are important. We didn't discuss how conversion and what that looks like and then how that impacts our evangelism. And finally today we come to the issue of church membership and how church membership serves your souls and that of others. So this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 27. I want you to hear that word this morning. So again, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you, open it before you. There may be a, a, a pew Bible, possibly there, if you, don't bring, if you haven't brought one. But I want to encourage you this morning to read God's Word with me here. Hear now the Word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 27. Therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Father, we come to you now. Thinking that your word, as we sang just a while ago, it will always prevail. Lord God, it will never return void, but will always accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. We have sung, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. Lord, we are confessing that we are sinners, we have a crimson stain, but you could wash it as white as snow. And so, Lord, our desperate need now to come to you and to look and to cry out, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. Father, may you magnify your Son and his glory as your word is preached in the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Father, the church will rejoice and give you glory. This is our hope and desire, Father. And so we come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Well, the Bible says that God is a good God, a good heavenly father who gives wonderful gifts to his children. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives to you and I is a church family, a faith family. In fact, today I'm going to say this truth, that every believer, every believer in Christ should be connected with and committed to a local church. Every believer in Christ should be connected to and committed to a local church. The reality is that's not popular in our culture. The fact is, as you may think through church membership, it might elicit all kinds of responses from you. Some who think, why do we even need that? Being a Christian is enough. And then there's other people on the other end of the spectrum are like, you know what? I can't imagine being a Christian and not being a member of the church. But it's likely that many of you probably find yourself somewhere in between. 
You think about church membership as a good thing, but you aren't necessarily convinced that it's actually vital for your soul, the soul of others. And so for the rest of this message, my aim is to show you from the scriptures why it is a blessing and a gift for us to be connected to and committed to a local church. In fact, I think our passage today shows us four reasons why we desperately need the church and why membership is so vital. So again, if you have your copy of God's word, look again with me, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 27, and we come to this first truth. The church is where we experience the presence of God together. The church is where we experience the presence of God together. You see, the writer, the writer of the book of Hebrews, who we're not exactly sure who he is, that's an interesting discussion, but we're not necessarily sure who it is. He writes in the period of 70 AD based upon things that we understand and see. But his emphasis throughout the letter is this, Christ is greater. In fact, he's going to say that Christ is greater than any of the angels. Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is greater than the law. Twenty-five times you're going to hear throughout this letter that Christ says, or that the writer says that Christ is greater or better. And immediately, seemingly after each of these moments, when he points us to how great Christ is, he then calls for a way of response. And that's the text we come to. He's just been laboring again about how Christ has offered this once and for all sacrifice that has forever perfected us and and made us holy and right with God and how the spirit of God is within us and bearing witness that we are God's children and the work of God within us. And now he comes and he says, listen, guys, in response to that, this is how we should live. So look at me, would again, as we come to this first truth, the church is where we experience the presence of God together. Verse 19 of Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest or a great priest over the house of God. So listen again, look what he says there, brothers and sisters. Paul is talking about community language. He's saying that it's it's plural, right? Again, as you think about the Bible, right, and think about books, they often were read in in their entirety in one setting, right? And so the entire book of Hebrews was being read through, and he's coming to this point of saying, listen, this is so specific. Guys, brothers and sisters, church, listen to who we are. And we, we need to ask, well, how does this family have such confidence? How do these brothers and sisters have such confidence? Where does our confidence come from? Look what he says. Therefore, since we have confidence, notice what he says, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he's using all this imagery of the temple, right? Again, it's likely that he's writing to Jewish Christians who would have grown up with the temple and sacrifices and all those things. And so Christ has come and all of these people are wrestling with, well, what's my role now in the temple and what's the role of sacrifices and how do I understand the law and all of these things. They're living in this contentious time trying to understand it all. And he's saying, listen, guys, you know, the holy place in the temple, the holy place, the holy of holies, like inside the temple, right? The priests would go to make sacrifices, but then there was a curtain. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, right, which once contained the Ten Commandments and the manna and the other things that that were contained there within. It has the mercy seat. The high priest had the access to that place one day a year, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. And he would go into that, 
with the blood, and he would make atonement for the sacrifices, uh, the sins of not only himself, but the sins of the people. But this was a unique place. And so the writer of Hebrews says to us now, those of us who are in Christ, that's what he says, we have access to that. Now, it's not a temple in Jerusalem. You have to make a journey to get there. He says, no, that you and I have access behind the curtain. And we need to ask how. How do we obtain such access to God? How do we have this access to God 24-7? Notice what he says again. Look back with me. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what, church? The blood of Jesus. It's by his sacrifice. It is Christ who has made us worthy. It is Christ's sufficiency that has died in our place. He is our substitute. And not only has he died for our sin, but by grace through faith, his perfect life is now credited to us. The confidence to enter into God's presence, the confidence to come and worship this morning is not how good you've been this week. It is always and will always be the goodness and the faithfulness and the purity of Christ. Brothers and sisters, that ought to humble us, but it also ought to encourage us and give us confidence. That in no way excuses our sin, right? And that's one of the reasons why we stop each week to just spend time confessing sin. Because we recognize that, guess what? We as a body all have sin, right? We all have sinned and fallen short, even this week, even this day of the glory of God. But notice again, this this drawing near isn't just something we do individually. It's something we do corporately. Look at again. Look at he says, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, listen to all the community language he's been using. Look what he says. Just walk with it just for a moment. Verse 19, notice what he says there. Brothers or brothers and sisters. Notice he says further there to them that we have confidence there in verse 19. Verse 20 says it's opened for us. Further, he says there in verse 21, we have. Then verse 22, let us. And then he talks about our hearts, our bodies. Is this ongoing intentionality. Say, listen, we don't just come to God individually. We come to him as a body, corporately, as a community of believers. And the truth is we have a personal faith, absolutely, but it's exercised within a larger community of brothers and sisters with whom we regularly gather and covenant together. But I want to draw your attention again back to verse 22. Notice what he says there, let us. In fact, three different times, verse 22, verse 23, then verse 24, you're going to hear that statement, let us, let us, let us. If you have the NIV, 1984, or maybe a similar translation, you may have a couple other let us's happen there, right? In verse 25, he may say let us two different times there. It's sometimes been known as the lettuce patch, right? Get it? Let us. All right, dad joke. But no, seriously. You should have your attention drawn. He's been building upon to say, listen, in response to who our high priest is, in response to what Christ has done, this is how we should live. This is, for some of you who may be more grammarians, right? This is known as the imperative being rooted in the indicative. For others, you may think, what's that even mean? It means that we live in response to what Jesus has already done. That's our response. And notice he says, what we experience together. Let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's the confidence we have, brothers and sisters. Full assurance. Where does that come from? Does it come from our good works? Does he say, man, because you have done all these things, man, you should have assurance. Now, there's an importance of our good works. It, it points, but it points back to this. That's what he says. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. 
Did you hear that? The place to have your conscience cleansed is not because you can do enough good works to somehow offset the bad. That's the other religions of the world, brothers and sisters. The truth of God's word is the only way to have your evil conscience cleansed is not by doing enough. It is by realizing that he did enough. That's what's going to cleanse you. That's what's going to purify you. That's what makes us worthy to serve. It's not because, oh, man, I've got it all together. No, it's Christ. That's what he says. And our bodies are washed with pure water. I mean, there's just the cleansing that's happening. Again, this is echoing passages like Ezekiel 36 and others. So, again, as we think through, like, man, we come together as a church, right? I mean, we come to God corporately together. That's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us. It's been roughly about 10 years now, but the SBC annual church profile, that's where each church shares their statistics on things. It's been about 10 years, but the average SBC church at that point was 176 members. And you know what the average attendance of those members was on a Sunday morning? 69. That means about 100 people who are listed as members of the church aren't regularly gathering with that body. I think it's a reminder from this text, listen, brothers and sisters, that we are called, yes, we come by personal faith, but it finds itself within a larger community of believers. Let us, let us draw near. And one of the ways that we do that, right, is we had our, some of our church membership class earlier. We were talking about baptism, right? Baptism, we're going to get to it in a minute. It's the front door of the church. But also think about in communion, right? As we come to communion, there's many of us, right? We're, we're partaking of a cup and bread, but it also reminds us of the fact that the many are one and the oneness comes from Christ. So as you gather with the church Sunday by Sunday on the Lord's day, this resurrection morn, that's what you're celebrating. You coming today is in some way a declaration that our God defeated sin and the grave. And we come together Lord's day after Lord's day. To gather near, not just individually, but as a body. And so again, this is why, one of the reasons why we're committed. We should be committed to a local church. Why? It's because we experience the presence of God together. But secondly, as we look to verse 23, this truth comes about. The church is where we confess that Jesus is Lord together. Hear it again. The church is where we confess that Jesus is Lord together. I think we could rightly ask, but how do we know who the local church really is? Like, who, who's a part of that? Now, well, look what he says, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Did you hear that? This is some way beginning to mark out who actually is a part of the church and who is not. Notice what he says there. Let us hold fast. Let us not grow weary. Let us not shrink back from confessing. That we have a hope. And right, that that hope is rooted in Christ. That's our good confession. That it, it's, it's God who is holy and righteous and we're not. And right, as you think through the gospel, it's just simply this. It's, it's God who is holy and righteous. Who's given us his perfect law, right? I mean, if you just start thinking about the Ten Commandments and how you measure up. My guess is you're going to quickly see, man, I failed even this week. Maybe this morning. You see, when you see God and then the second part, you see man yourself, you realize there's a major gap between God and I. And as his image bearer, I've not imaged him, and so I rightly stand condemned. But that then brings us to the gospel, doesn't it? 
we see our need of like, this is who a holy God is. This is who I am. Man, what a great gap there is. God is right in judging me. And then we see the cross. We see our Savior who by his own blood, by his sinless, perfect life, gave his life for ours. We now are called to respond to that. And that response, guess what, is the confession of our hope. We're confessing who God is, who man is, who Jesus is. And now in response, he is all of our faith and trust. It is not in ourselves. It is by the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You see, when you think about that confession, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It's in some way the profession of our faith, right? The very things we've been talking about. But it's not only simply a profession, it's also a demonstration of our faith. And you might wonder, well, how do you demonstrate your faith? Well, the church consistently, the one way that people go public from the very beginning in Acts chapter 2, and in some way even before that with John the Baptist, was through baptism. It was baptism that marked a people off to say, listen, we are going public with our faith. I mean, think about it. the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter is up there preaching and the people are cut to the heart and they cry out, what must we do to be saved? Verse 37 of Acts 2. And Peter responds to them, repent and what? Be baptized. No, baptism wasn't saving them. It was just the public declaration that inwardly they had repented. They had believed on Christ and now they're going public with that faith. And it's a declaration that all those continually, what do we see throughout the book of Acts? Man, those who receive the message time and time again, what do they do? They're baptized. It talks about how they're added to the number, right? They're making this good confession. And then guess what? They begin to be identified with God's people. They, they worship together. It talks about how they were in the temple courts and they gathered in their homes. They pray together. They serve together. They give together. These markers of what it looks like to be a part of the church. I mean, in fact, that's what continually, as you start reading through the book of Acts and it moves on from the day of Pentecost and you start seeing these local people in a specific spot and a specific group of people gathering, guess what they consistently are being called? The church. It's the church. You might wonder, well, why would anyone, Blake, hold to such a confession? Well, it's because what the end of verse 23 reminds us. For he who promises what church? He's faithful. He's faithful that all those who look to the Son for salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life, God is faithful. He'll never change that standard. He's faithful. You see, Pastor Jonathan Lehman was, was talking through some of these very issues and he, he brought out a help, helpful illustration that I wanted to share with you and as you think through what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ and the church, right? I mean, Mark echoed it. And we, we heard some of that, right? And you, you've seen those things, like where different places the church is destroyed, right? Whether you see things happen in Turkey or Syria, right? We heard that in Ukraine, different places where Russia had bombed and they, they couldn't gather. And so they were gathering in different places. It was a reminder that the church isn't the building. It's the people. It's the people who gather together. There's, there's no, like, when you think about the kingdom of heaven, there's, like, no geographic zip code here on earth. Like, oh, then now you're entering into the kingdom of heaven. In some way, the church is functioning like an embassy, right? You think about what an embassy does, right? An embassy is in another land, not its homeland, but in another land, and it's representing the rights of those citizens and people. In some way, that's how we think of the church, right? I mean, the kingdom of heaven is not yet here, right? We're praying, thy kingdom come, but we recognize that that fulfillment doesn't come until we get here to the end of Revelation, and so guess what? Well, imagine now that you're 
in a foreign land and you had your passport, but somehow you lost it or it got stolen, what do you do? Well, you hope that there's an embassy in that country, right, to which you can go to and say, hello, my name is, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States, right? But I've lost my passport. I have no way to, to identify that I'm actually who I say I am. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to begin looking and, and determining it. And guess what? If they hear and see that you're actually a member of the United States, they're going to issue you that, that passport. In some way, that's like church membership, right? The church functions as the embassy, but as we come making this good confession, the church is hearing that confession saying, brother, sister, it, it sounds like you understand the gospel and that you've repented and believed upon this gospel. We as a body of Christ hear that affirmation and are affirming it to say, brother, sister, as far as we can tell, you are one of us. Now, listen, that might bring about an important question. Does that mean that what a local church does on earth actually changes a person's status in heaven? No. Remember, the church is like an embassy. The embassy doesn't make you a citizen. It just simply affirms that you are one. In the same way, the church, right, is hearing your affirmation of faith, that good confession, and they're affirming the fact, listen, brother, sister, you are one of us. See, GBC, I hope that you're beginning to see that the church and church membership is maybe more important than you've ever thought before. It's the church that we make that good confession or baptism that we are, as far as the church can tell, one of God's children. So I want to ask some of you in this room this morning. Are you one that's you've made the good confession in some way internally, but you've yet to go public with it? I want you to see from the scriptures that it's been the practice for over 2000 years that those who confess Christ as Lord and Savior, they go public with their faith. So some of you that that's going to be again, baptism is the front door into the church and it's time for you to go public. For others here, I would urge you to consider the testimony of not only the New Testament, right? Think about the Old Testament. The people of Israel were clearly marked off as, as a, a distinct people. In the New Testament, right, you struggle to find any Christian who isn't connected to a local church. You might say, well, Blake, what about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8? You're right. But remember what that is, right? That's frontier missions. That, again, is the exception, not the rule. I might just gently say to you that it's time to take off the Lone Ranger badge and covenant with a local church. For as we're going to see, right, united with the local church, not only is our faith affirmed at our good confession, but we're asking one another in the body of Christ, walk beside me, brother and sister, that I might continue to remain faithful to these very truths and not waver or shrink back. And that brings us to our third truth as we come here now to verse 24 and 25. And it's this. The church is where we stay committed to Christ together. The church is where we stay committed to Christ together. Hickam would now, verse 24 and 25. And let us, again, this is our third let us, right, here in this text. Again, this community language. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Earlier in a song, you sang almost those exact verbiage, right? You were singing that words. You were singing the words here. So again, we're, we're intentionally trying to think through as we sing and do, right? We want to point us to these truths. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, the idea of let us in these community languages, a reminder that Christian perseverance in the faith is a community event. Again, hear that. Your faith and your perseverance in the faith, the New Testament is clear. That is not to be done in isolation, but with a local body of believers. I mean, think about it. Look what he says there. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, I'm not much of a baker or much of a cook, but man, like when my bride gets rocking in the kitchen, man, and like, you know what, you got like some of these ingredients and like by themselves, like cocoa or whatever or different things, like, man, it's not very good. But when that sister gets to mixing all that up and throwing it in the oven or that, that pot of chili or that soup, right? I mean, like by themselves, I'm like, you know what, I probably wouldn't have that. But man, when that stuff starts to come together and it starts to develop and bake, it's like, man, that is like, let's eat, let's eat. That's in some way, right, the body of Christ. Could I ask you, who are you stirring up? Who have you noticed that, man, maybe just their passion, or they were once so committed and serving, and now, man, they just seem to be distant or starting to separate themselves in some way, less and less. They they used to serve beside you. They used to be so committed. I want to ask you, like, are you being intentional to encourage them, to strengthen them, to stir one of them up to more love and good works. Let's be honest. I mean, sometimes when we think about, right, what happens of why people maybe grow distant a little bit in that love or good works, it's often because we've been hurt. We get hurt by the church, right? I mean, let's, let's just be truthful. It is what it is. In the church, you can be hurt, right, by what someone does or what someone says. At the same time, we can be hurt because of what they didn't do or what they didn't say. Like we can find ourselves there, and it, it can become really easy to grow distant and cold. But that's why this text reminds us. That's why you're gathering week after week, isn't it? That's why we submit ourselves Sunday morning after Sunday. That's why we gather as a body to study in Sunday school. But that's also why you spend time alone week, moment after moment throughout the week. Why? Because you need this word to reorient your hearts and minds. Don't you? I mean, I need that. I need my heart and my mind reoriented because, man, things can happen. I can just feel like I'll just, I'll just pull back. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I mean, like, man, it can happen in my marriage. Right? Something doesn't go the way I think it should or something with the kids. Man, I, can just, I got a tendency sometimes to just pull back. So, brothers and sisters, that's why we hear this word. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In fact, our church covenant, part of it reads this way. It says, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. That's, that's part of the aim. We're to be slow to take offense. We're, we're always ready for reconciliation. Why? Because that's our Savior's offering to us. So I don't know if it's you this morning, maybe it's been hurt, or maybe it's someone that you know. I want to encourage you. How might you stir them up to love? But not only love, look what he says, and good works, to keep encouraging others, to remain faithful. I, I, it's feel like, man, uh, Galatians 6 is one of those passages talks about, right, not growing weary and doing good for the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. I, that's like one of those I continually share with myself, but others. I, I remember, I mean, it's probably been pushing 15 years now, but there's the local group here, Steadfast, and their first came from what? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not what, church? It's not in vain. I can't tell you, man, I, I learned that from Steadfast as they shared it just different times, and man, it started to echo in my heart and mind, and to this day, like, I think of ways in which I might share that with others or my own soul. I think a question we should ask in response to this is, how do we know who we're supposed to be doing this with? Now, in some way, we could say every other Christian, right, that we should be stirring them up to love and to good works. 
But we also know that's some way unrealistic because we're limited by space and time. And so we're still asking, who should we be stirring up? Well, I think specifically it's one of those, those that are meeting together, right? And we're going to see some of that in verse 25. But then you might rightly ask, so is, am I responsible to stir up everybody that's ever walked through these doors? What if they haven't been here in two years or ten years? Or they've gone on to other places? Like, what's my responsibility? And I think this brings us back to the importance of a church covenant, of uh, people that are meeting together and covenanting with one another. I mean, if you flip over just for a moment, look at Hebrews chapter 13, just for a moment. Verse 17, I think gives some clarity to this question of how do we know we're supposed to be doing this with? Look what he says. Again, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Man, I love to hear those pages turning. Man, that's beautiful. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's clear, right? We could talk a lot about this verse, but I think it's clear that the people know who their leaders are, right? Do you hear that? Obey your leaders. and they, they know. Well, how do they know? Because they're regularly gathering in a specific place with a specific people with specific leaders. So they know who those people are. At the same time, the leaders need to know who the people are. What? Look what it says. Keeping watch over their souls. So we're to know, like, whose souls are we to be watching over? Why? Because he says, you're going to give an account. And so the way in which we know that, beloved, is through church membership. It clearly begins to mark out those who say, hey, you know what? I desire to submit to the leadership and this church and to covenant with this church. Because I want the leadership to watch over my soul, but I also want other members to walk beside my soul. So, again, these things begin to mark out and show us, man, I think we've had a tendency to have a low view of church membership. But that's not what the Bible's setting forth. And the truth is, guess what, guys? This can't happen on our couch. It can't. This things happen when the church regularly meets together. That's what the author says. Look, what he says, verse 25, back to Hebrews 10, verse 25. Look what he says to them. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think we've had this tendency to think that COVID is what took all the people away. Guys, this is 70 AD, and it was happening then. People withdrawing or leaving the church is not anything new. Look what he says. They're not to neglect to meet together. That's the Bible. That isn't like, oh, that's the view of that church or that's some narrow. No, he says the scriptures say we are not to neglect to meet together. And you may ask, well, why does the Holy Spirit give this imperative? Like, really, what's the danger in just missing? And because what soon becomes a habit and the habit becomes a lifestyle. It's this danger, this slow fade away. So again, the Bible is saying to us, listen, you should regularly be gathering with the local church. Unless, I know again, hearing some of the old timers used to say, unless providentially hindered. Gathering with the local church Sunday morning by Sunday morning should be your rule. Are there exceptions? Absolutely. But I think our culture has just become a place of excuses. We've got all these reasons why we can't gather, all these other things that seem more important. I had a conversation with my kiddos this morning. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we a part of this? Because gathering with the local church on Sunday mornings is detrimental to your soul. That's why. Your soul and my soul. Like we, This is no small. I mean, the, guys, this is eternity. This is no small thing. This is no like, oh, that's not, eh, that's not where you'd be landing. No, this is no small thing. 
to gather and hear this word of God. It's no small thing. So he says we're not to neglect to meet together. This is the habit of some. He says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice he says that day. There's, there's coming a day in which you and I will stand before God and give an account for our lives. You see, Jesus takes very seriously our commitment to the local church. Why? Because he died for her. He gave his life for her. He loves the local church. And he's given the church as a gift not to be neglected, but to grow and invest. So I might ask this question. Who do you know that stopped regularly gathering with us? Have you reached out to them? No, it may be that God's directed them on to another church that's faithfully preaching the word. And even though we miss them and love them, right? That, that, but it may be that they're not going anywhere. Or maybe there was a time when they were going somewhere else. And now they've just like, man, I, I want to encourage you like that. Doesn't look what he says, not neglecting to meet together as they have to some, but encourage like that's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Encourage one another. Who do you need to reach out to? Just to check on them. Maybe it's in your Sunday school class or, or again, maybe they used to sit next to you. In fact, if, you, if you're a member here, then, then part of the covenant states this. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. We, we've agreed that, hey, I'm going to watch over the souls of the other members of this church. To the believers here who haven't covenanted with a local church's member, I hope this text is just urging you forward to say, you know what, I, I need pastors who are going to watch over my soul. I need other members who are going to walk beside me in love. Beloved, this is part of God's gift to you, and it's called the church. So the church is where we experience the presence of God together. The church is where we confess that Jesus is Lord together. The church is where we stay committed to Christ together. And finally, in verse 26 and 27, we see the church is where we are warned of danger together. The church is where we are warned of danger together. In fact, consider the entire section of verses and maybe just ask yourself a few of these following questions. What's the danger in not holding fast to our good confession without wavering? What's the danger of not continuing to love God and others? What's the danger in not continuing in good works? What's the danger in not continuing to meet regularly with the church? The answer comes in verse 26 and 27. Look what he says. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries hear God's word and know God's word and yet to deliberately go on sinning places us, according to the writer of Hebrews, in a position to face the judgment of God. You may be like, hey, dude, hold up. I thought like these people were Christians. So are you telling me like they were once saved, now they're losing it? No. The writer is saying if you read the book of Hebrews over and over and over again, he just keeps bringing about these truths. He tells us about what Christ has done and who we're called to be. And then he warns us if we hear these words and reject them. Deliberate, he says here, deliberately sinning, like in choosing to reject the word, refusing to repent. He's saying that they are giving evidence to the fact that they were never truly born again. That's a hard thing. Why? Because we've seen those very people baptized. 
We've seen them be a part of the church. We've served beside them. Like we've, we've seen how passionate they appeared at one point, and then they withdraw away from the body, and sin in some way begins to do- dominate. Instead of repenting and returning back to the local congregation, they just keep going on sinning. And the writer's warning that if anyone continues to live in that lifestyle, not desiring to repent, there's a warning that rings out true. And Titus, when Paul writes there, he says maybe this that might seem to fit well, this context. Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their very actions they deny Him. They profess one thing, but they possess something else. What happens? He says the judgments come. Look at verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I don't want you merely to hear that today. I want you to feel it. I want you to imagine the souls, maybe your sons and daughters or your spouse or your grandchildren or your wives and husbands, your closest friends and buddies, marching right off to hell for eternity, beloved. For for eternity. This isn't like a moment bad decision. They'll snap out of it. This is eternal judgment. A fury of fire. He says that there ought to be a fearful expectation of judgment. This is no small matter. I'm speaking about the eternity of your soul. The soul of those you love and care about. That must begin to trump the awkwardness and the fear we have of having conversations about Christ and the way people are living. Do we not care about their souls? They're going to hell for eternity. Did you hear that? That's not my word. That's God's word. Man, the good news is, it's what we've already read before that. God has sent His Son to rescue us from that very end. It's a gift of God. But He's also given us the church for brothers and sisters to help warn us and to help encourage us and to love on us and to pray with us and to apologize like, brother, sister, I should not have said or done that. I'm sorry. I see how that offended you. Like all these things are things that we are doing as a congregation. And listen, as we consider this important, the very end of our church covenant, it reads with these words about caring for one of our souls. Look what it says. We moreover engage. That when we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principle of God's words. Again, these are words that are written some back in the 1800s and depending upon earlier confessions. The church has realized throughout church history that it's not good for us to be alone. And so the assumption is, listen, there may come a day when God moves you on from this congregation Brothers and sisters, part of our commitment here is that when we leave this place, when God calls us other ways or things, right, begin to move us other directions, we intend as soon as possible to unite with another church that affirms these truths, that preaches this gospel. I want to say this tenderly but sternly. If you think that you're the exception to that rule, you're deceived. We need the local church, beloved. This is God's good intention and design. To the unbeliever here this morning, did you hear it? If you go on sinning deliberately, the judgment of God awaits. 
The good news is the very things that he's been showing us in the previous verses is that Christ came and gave his own life to cleanse your evil conscience and to wash you as white as snow. I want to ask you, are you willing today to make that good confession that you are in desperate need of a Savior? That you can't save or rescue yourself? You can't right the ship enough? You desperately need Christ. I urge you this hour. Come to the church. At the end of each of these messages, we've asked three primary questions. One, where have we been? As you've heard of the church, has long been a covenant-confessing church. Again, this isn't new to GBC, but creeds and confessions have continued throughout early church history and on. And we stand our, find ourselves standing in that long line of people that have passed on these beliefs and these beliefs. But we also maybe should ask, well, where are we currently? And the truth is, while we have this covenant, we haven't always held fast to it. Maybe that's because it'd be easier or feel less messy not to. But I hope that we see through passages like today that actually what we're doing is not actually for one another's good. That we need these very agreements. We need to hold fast to these. It helps serve to guard our souls and the souls of one another. Thus, I think we should ask, where might we go? Well, one of the things we're doing is working to update some of our church covenant language. There's things like tattling in there, right? We don't use that verbiage anymore. There's some issues maybe of conscience and things. But I think more than that, it's that moment the church needs to decide how committed to one another do we want to be? And if so, like how important is it to watch over one another's souls? And if so, I think that that begins to birth that desire for that covenant of those who desire that. Again, there's important decisions to be made. And that's one of the reasons why I'm striving to preach through this series, to bring these things to us. Not only for this church in the days ahead, but your soul as you go on and look to other churches. You're thinking through, what should I be looking for? I hope and pray these things begin to be entrenched in your heart and mind. But I want to leave you with this truth. Because I think in the midst of all this, sometimes these can be missed. And so I want to ground our text in one place last. What motivates all this? Love. Love. It's love for the name of Christ that we bear. It's love for the soul of that other church member. It's love for the community of believers, especially those who might be young or new believers in our congregation. But it's also love for the lost world that's watching us and seeing our lives to warn them so they aren't deceived. You see, GBC, I want to compel us as we make decisions, as you continue to look forward of what is a healthy church, I want to make sure that we don't miss that all that we do must be done in love. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time and your word. And Lord, we realize that know that subjects like this can at times be uncomfortable. They can make us uneasy. But God, you've not always called us to what's easy or comfortable. In fact, you said that if anyone would come after you, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow you. That is a life of submission and surrender, a life of self-denial, a life of dying to their self. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit today in hearing this word, I pray that those who have made that good confession are encouraged in this body. They're encouraged by the strength of their Savior who is faithful, who will hold them fast. But Lord, we also pray on behalf of others that we love and care about. God, help us see our need to go and love and encourage and stir them up to love and good works. Father, I pray even right now as we think through 
this congregation and over the years, some that have come and gone, I, I pray that maybe today might stir in our hearts a need to reach out and just to check on them. To hear where they are and how things are going at that church they've united with, or maybe they haven't, and maybe it's just an encouragement to that end. Or maybe there are those who've not connected anywhere. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit today, you might so stir this congregation that we would say, brother, sister, we would love for you to come back. Father, we ask that you would strengthen this community. We, we pray not only these things for our church, but the churches of Green County. We want the churches to be strong. But we pray that you might sustain our brother and sister churches, that you would empower their leaders to faithfully preach and teach your word, that you would strengthen their membership to love and good works, that they would encourage and stir one another up. So, Lord, it's not just simply about building our church, God. It's about your kingdom. So, Lord, we pray for the betterment and the flourishing of other churches right here in Greene County. Lord, they are not our competition, but our brothers and sisters in the labor of the kingdom. Father, let us not be deceived. I think like 80% of Greene County doesn't attend church. They don't have no relationship, Lord. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you will strengthen our church and the churches around us to go and faithfully share this gospel. Lord, we thank you again for your word that gives us direction and renews our mind and reorients our hearts and our lives. And I pray, God, that in the midst of hearing this, again, that our hearts are so shaped that what we do is motivated in love and meekness and humility and as your text has said again and again today, one another. Help us think about one another. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.